Our reading is based from 1 Peter chapter 1, 22 and 23. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. Amen. Welcome, everyone, to Edge City Church. It's so good to see you all here. Uh, my name is Finn. I serve as the, the lead pastor here. I'm so happy that you're able to uh, join with us today. Um, would you, uh, happy Father's Day to all the dads in here. Can we give it up for our dads? Would you uh, join me in a word of prayer? Uh, Father, God, we just thank you for this time that we can come together and just worship you, Lord. We thank you for just moving in such a powerful way already here, God. Lord, we just submit these next few moments into your hands. Uh, Holy Spirit, have your way. Uh, we give you all the glory, Lord. We love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Amen. Um, we are continuing our sermon series called Standing Strong on Grace. Standing Strong on Grace. And this is the third message of our series. And the title of this message is Inside Out. By uh, way of reminder, the book that we are looking into is a book that is written by the Apostle Peter. Uh, Peter wrote this book to a group of churches in five different regions all throughout uh, what today we call the nation of Turkey. And uh, the common denominator here of all the, the group of churches was that, that these folks were facing hardship. These folks were facing just increasing hostility from a brutal Roman culture and a brutal Roman government. And so the Apostle Peter writes this letter to them to encourage them to stand strong on grace, to walk with Jesus and not to succumb to the pressures of the opposition, but to stand strong on grace. And this right here is an incredibly just important and fitting book for us in our day and in our culture as well, when things were just so tumultuous, right, the last 15 months, um, to really remind us uh, not to lose the standing on the strong foundation on Jesus Christ. And so while it's very clear that in chapter 5, as I mentioned two weeks ago, he, he says this, I write this letter to you to encourage you that what is happening all around you is God's grace. Stand strong in that grace. So while he's talking about how to engage with this hostile and secular culture, he, he doesn't actually just start there in the logic of his letter so it's very clear, right? The purpose of this letter is he starts by reminding them of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for them. And it starts with this vertical access, right? Reminding them of the riches and the treasures that we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I spoke about this two weeks ago. And then last week we were talking about, well, what does it look like to live in response to God's graciousness? Right? And we were talking about 
It is to respond in holiness. It is to be set apart, to respond and honor God who loves us. And so this week, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the church. Right? We're, he's going to talk about how we treat one another in here, in the local church. And then f- finally, Peter's like, you know, he's going to say, now... Now, here's how you conduct yourself to a hostile and a dark world out there. And so I want you to know that Peter is not beating around the bush here, okay? He's just, he's not waiting a little bit to say hard things. He's actually just laying out the logical foundation for the way that we ought to think about how to just engage in this world. So he's saying, first, we need to think of it like a concentric circle. Like we need to be rooted in the gospel. We need to live our lives just in holiness and just devoted to God. And we need to treat each other, right? The local church, uh, we need to treat each other well. And then when we get all of that figured out, maybe, just maybe, we can have a witness with a dark world that is out there. But if we can't get it right in here, we're going to have our lunch eaten out there, right? So begin inside. Begin inside. So I want to start with an illustration. Uh, For those of you who don't know, our church, we started to play softball, and, you know, we're kind of like, we played two games already, and we're having such a good time on sad Sunday evenings. If you want to know more information, if you want to play, please see Jason on that. So last Sunday, we were playing, and I was talking to one of the guys, and we ended up talking about just um, March Madness, and and we started talking about the Loyola Ramblers of Chicago. I don't know if you guys remember the story of Loyola of Chicago back in 2018. For those of you who may not know, Loyola of Chicago was a team of underwhelming talent from a school that virtually no one has heard of until that tournament. You may recall their biggest fan. I don't know if you guys remember their biggest fan. It was Sister Jean. Sister Jean, I don't know if that ring a bell, but Sister Jean was this 96-year-old nun, and she was all over the place, like all over the media. And this woman was the team's chaplain. She became the team's champion, and, you know, she was, she was kind of like the team mascot as well. She was just all over the press, and what she would do is she would pray for the team before the game. Anyway, um, that year, the Ramblers had an unusually successful season, and they went on to the NCAA tournament as the 11th seed, and they went on to upset number nine, Kansas, number seven, Nevada, number six, Miami, and number three, Tennessee, on their way to the final four tournament. And so people were wondering, like, who would have ever thought that the final four that year would have been that would have been Kansas, Villanova, Michigan, and the Loyola of Chicago Ramblers. Although their streak was finally stopped by Michigan, their historic run is now considered one of the greatest Cinderella stories of all time in March Madness history. Now, sports analysts and writers and commentators almost all credit the success of this little nobody team from nowhere, not to their amazing star players, not to their flashy talent, 
But actually, it was the opposite of that. They credited it to their humility and their cohesiveness as a team. They said that the reason that they won out there against giant opposition is because that they humbly deferred to one another. It was an unusual mix of just exceedingly low egos that was on that team, a commitment toward team unity and winning as a team. I say all of that to say this. I think that that's what Peter is telling those early Christians and also us today, that the way that we're going to make it through out there, the trials and the persecution in the outside world actually starts with the way that we humbly love and serve one another in here. Like if we can't get it right in the church, we, we are never going to have a witness out in the world. And then I, I think about the last year and a half, right? And just think like this is such a timely word for us, Edge City. I mean, if we could just be honest for a moment, like during that time, right, as we kind of like turn on the evening news, to me, it kind of looks like a Halloween horror movie than it does of a recap of the world events throughout the day that we have, we have experienced, right? I mean, people were just at odds, temper was so high, divisiveness was rampant, no one agrees on anything. And as I think that you know, every thinking Christian is, at least should be, trying to process, well, you know, Lord Jesus, how in the world are we going to respond to everything that is going out there, right, that is out there these past, this past year and a half? When we think about, like, how do we respond to this virus, right, with the vaccine and now everyone just coming out again? Do we still have to be cautious, right, with COVID or some type of mutation of it? Like some people would say, well, you know, hey, this is still a, a cataclysmic global pandemic, while others would say, nah, this is just a absolute political scamdemic. Right? And, and I talk to and I get emails from both sides, right? Very strongly worded. Like, what are the news sources? Like, should we even trust them? What are the right sources that we can go to as we all come back out again? And those are just okay questions to ask. But Peter's letter today serves as a reminder, right? That more importantly than getting everything right in the world out there, is how we treat one another right here in the church, right? It's not to say that those things are not important out there, that we, you know, engage in all the issues and all the policies and all the politics and everything else, but it is to say that if we win out there, but if we lose in here, that we have not won anything at all. Because on that last day, when we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, we are not going to give an account on where we stood on politicians, where we stood on politics, where we stood on mass mandates, or any of that. But we will stand before the Lord and give an account on how we treated one another in here. How we treated our brothers and sisters how we treated the sons and the daughters of the Lord. 
And so that is the heart of today's text that we're going to dive into. And I am trusting that Jesus is going to use this text right here to just shape our minds, shape our hearts, to really love one another well in this community, right? And so today, we got seven verses that, and Peter is just has these three imperatives, three commands, three things that he implores Christians to do in this cultural movement that we find ourselves. And those three commands will serve as our three points today. And the three commands are this. Number one, that we love one another in community. Number two, that we remove sins that destroy community. And number three, we crave spiritual nourishment that feeds community. So here are our three points for today. So point number one is this. Point number one is we love one another in community. And I know what some of you are thinking. Well, that's rocket science, Finn. Good, good stuff. Yeah, we are diving into the deep waters right now, right? Love one another in community. So, so let's look at what Peter says here, uh, starting in chapter 1, verse 22. This is what he says. Having purified your soul. Okay, so the assumption here is that we have been made clean, right? That, that you know that you need to clean your car, you need to clean your laundry, you need to clean your dishes, you also need to clean your soul. How? How do we do that? By your obedience to the truth, right? In this context here, what is that, right? What is obedience to the truth? In this context here, Peter is not talking about just obedience to the moral law. He's not talking about the Ten Commandments. He's not talking about the Old Testament moral commands of God's people. But he's talking about our trust in the gospel, right? And he uses that same language in chapter 4, verse 12, where he says, we need to obey the gospel, so that our soul is purified, that we trust in Jesus, that we rest in Jesus, that his life, his death, his resurrection, we are rooted in that finding salvation, hope, and our life in that. And having done that, he says, he says this next, for a sincere brotherly love, right? All of that preface to give us the first imperative of our command Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. He's saying, he's saying, church, let's begin right there. Begin right there. I know that it's messy out there, but my first imperative is, church, love one another well. Right? He says, earnestly from a pure heart. You know, he's like saying, listen, I'm not talking about the fluffy stuff. I'm not talking about casual niceties. I'm not talking about a two-faced love where we smile and we wave on Sundays, but then we think ill on Mondays. But he's talking about, no, nah, the, the gritty stuff. That's what I'm talking about. Church, love one another earnestly, right? That means sincerely from a pure heart. The heart that has experienced the love of Jesus and showing the love of Jesus toward one another, right? And this is especially coming powerful, coming from a guy like Peter, right? You guys remember the story of Peter? Peter was the one that was in the room when Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, right? 
that you would love one another, right? He heard it right from the mouth of the incarnate God, Jesus Christ. Peter was the one who was there in the upper room as Jesus knelt down and Jesus washed the foot of his disciples, even Peter's, when he knew that he was going to deny him shortly right after. Peter was the one who looked into the eyes of the resurrected Lord Jesus, right, feeling the mountain of shame for having deceived a little girl that he didn't know Jesus three times. And then he heard the words of reinstatement right after that. I mean, undeserved love. Peter experienced the love of Jesus And now Peter writes to the church, and he says, love one another with this kind of love. Earnest love, pure love, costly, right? Like cost you something kind of a love, gritty love. It's amazing that we know from history that the early Christians took this to heart. We know that the early Christians were known for their love. In fact, in the first century, as Christianity was just starting to spread throughout the Roman Empire, there was a Roman emperor by the name of Hadrian, and who was actually, Hadrian, he sent a spy. And he felt particularly threatened by this new group of people that were just a growing people that called themselves little Christ or, or Christians, right, where we get the word Christians. And he says, are, are, are these, these guys are a threat, right? So he sends a spy by the name of Aristides. And he sends him and he says, you know what, Aristides, I want you to go figure everything out that you can learn about these people, about these little Christians. And I want you to come back and I want you to let me know what in the world is going out there, right? And so he goes on this undercover mission, and he understands that the first century followers of Jesus, he, he, he goes there, and then he comes back, and then he has this written report of the first comments that is stamped in the pages of history. Check this out. This is what Aristides reports back, and he says, his report said, and I quote, behold how they love one another. Like of all the observations he could have made, his first observation was the way that they treated one another. Behold how they love one another. Man, if someone would send a spy right here to Edge City Church and said, hey, I want you to go figure out how those people are at Edge City, right? What's going on in that place? What a joy it would be to hear the report if someone came and said, behold, how they love one another, how they love one another. In a culture that is just bashing and criticizing that the church would be known for our love for one another. Let's drive back into our text for today. So he commands us, right? Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. But then I want, let's track his logic over here. We go to the next verse. Verse 23, he says this, because you have been born again. Okay, so Peter actually just stands on the ground of this earnest love for one another, 
in our second birth. In our second birth. Why would we love one another? Because we should? No, because you're born again. Because you have new life. Right? And this is a consistent theme all throughout the New Testament. A new birth, a, a regeneration is always tied to the love for one another. In fact, in John chapter 3, the apostle John, we know he, he says this, we know that we have passed from death to life by our love for the brethren, our love for one another. Like, I wonder how we would answer that if we didn't know the biblical answer at the end, right? Like, if we know that we have passed from death to life because, what? Because we prayed a prayer? Because we were baptized? Because we were, we were right on all the right policies? Because we have perfect church attendance, right? That's, that's not where John goes, you know that you have passed from death to life because something changes in here. Because something changes in here, you actually have love for your brothers and your sisters, that we become our father's children, that we are brothers and sisters, that we know that we are born again because of our love for one another, and because we love one another, we know that we are born again. Peter goes on and he says this in verse 23. He says this, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, that but of imperishable seed, that which doesn't pass away through the living and abiding word of God, of God for... And then he quotes from Isaiah chapter 40. He says this, All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like flower of grass. They grow, they wither, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news. That's the gospel that was preached to you. So what Peter is saying here is that you are born again, right, for the first time. And we talked about that two weeks ago. Uh, we talked about a physical birth, that our mom gave birth to us, and we came into this world, but that seed was perishable, right? He, he says that the, the, that the body that we find ourselves in today will perish, right? This thing right here has an expiration date on it. But... If we are born again, we have been born of imperishable seed. Right? That is to say that we will have eternal life. Now, why is Peter bringing that up right now? Right? He, he, here's what he's saying. If you guys cannot figure it out how to love each other right, out here, in here, then it's going to be an awkward eternity. <laughs> Right, like if you hadn't been born again, this would not be such a priority. You can treat each other however way that you want, because in a few years you're, we're going to die, right? And then this would all this will all be behind us. And he's saying this is not the issue for the church because the gospel you have been born of imperishable seed, right? That whole program there it culminates in this big dinner feast that we see later. 
And so if you have beef with your fellow brother or sister, it's going to be a really awkward dinner table at the wedding feast of the Lamb. Because you're going to say like, hey, pass the bread. I hate that dude. Right? I mean, it's like we're going to be together for like 20, I don't know, just 22 billion years. We got to figure this all out. And so Peter's saying, hey, guys, let's figure this out right now. Because if we can't win out, if, if we can't win out there we can, we, and we can't get along in here, then, you know, he's saying, come on, we need to just step in there. Not just get along, but then he goes deeper. He goes deeper into that. And he goes to love one another earnestly, right? right? He, he's talking about a sincere kind of a love. Now, that doesn't leave us with this command that says, well, you know, you guys go get yourselves figured out and start to love one another well. He actually gives us two very practical, just tactical ways to kind of how we can grow in this earnest and pure-hearted love for one another. And those two practical ways are the next points that we're going to dive into. So our first practical way to love one another well is this. First, in, in a sense, he's saying this. He's saying, remove sins that destroy community. Remove sins that destroy community. So the first way that we love one another well, he's saying there's some stuff that we need to get rid of, right? That's actually going to play off very, very well. So let's look at chapter 2, verse 1. This is what he says. So put away all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, all slander. I mean slander. The word right there is put away. Put away. In the original language, uh, the word in that moment to take off is to, you know, it's kind of like just take off a garment, take off your shoes when you come into a house, come into your home. It's to put away. The language here is to take something off and to put it away. And so Peter's way of saying some, saying this is, hey, there's some things before you were born again, right? There is some things that you wore. There's some things that the people of God, uh, that, the, that the world wears, and it's like very comfortable for them to wear. And, and they're okay with it, and that's fine. But when you come into the family of God, we actually got to take those things off, and we got to put them away. That, they don't have a place in here. And then he goes on to say that these, there's these five things, five sins that we need to take off and we need to put away. And you might say, well, you know what? Why just five? Isn't there like more? I mean, isn't it true that all Christian life should be of repentance and, you know, that we are, you know, not saved, just we're not saved by our obedience, by what, how we obey, but, you know, because we are saved we, we, through Jesus, what Jesus has done on the cross, shouldn't we just take off all sins? Right. No, you're right. That's true. We do. But in the context that Peter is talking about here, Peter is saying that there are five sins in particular that are community killers. Five things that are community killers. And if you let these fester right here in the church, there will, be, there will not be an earnest, pure-hearted love for one another if this is here. And so he lists them out, uh, one at a time, five of them, and this is going to be super fun. We're going to dive into this. We're going to hit them up one at a time. So what do we take off? Number one, we need to take off malice. 
take off malice. So what is malice? Malice in the general term is wishing ill for someone. This idea that you desire that their life would be uh, a little less pleasant than what it is right now. That that would eat something in you. You hunger to see them in a less ideal place. You may not you know, be the one that makes it happen, but you certainly celebrate when it does happen. And so how do we know, right? Like, how do we know, how do we diagnose that by taking off malice? Like, well, we need to ask ourselves a question, right? Ask ourselves a question. What happens, what happens inside of you when someone that you dislike, when someone that you dislike have something bad happen to them? Like, do you feel great about it? Oh, they got fired? Oh, good, they had it coming, right? I'm so happy that that went that way, right? It was good. Oh, they're getting dissed on social media? Well, you know what? I wouldn't have said that, but I'm so glad that they did. You know what I mean? Pass the popcorn. This is getting really good. It's good entertainment right here. Feeding my soul to celebrating the displeasures of someone. And or what happens in your heart when someone that you dislike is blessed, right? Are you frustrated? Oh, they're getting married? Stinks for that spouse, right? That's going to be a long 50 years. Wonder if it's too late to get out of that. Oh, they got promoted? Oh, that's going to be costly for that organization, Oh, they're working in the ministry? Like, ooh, bad pick over there. Like, that, that, that one's going to sting right there. I don't know about that one. True or false? Our culture has a malice problem, <laughs> right? Yeah, like everybody, like everyone in our culture wears malice. It's like a malice, they wear malice like a winter coat in February in Canada, right? This thing is everywhere. This thing happens in politics all the time, doesn't it? Like, think about a few months ago. Like, no one who dislikes Donald Trump would ever wish ill will for him personally, would they? Nah. No one who disliked President Biden would wish ill will for him personally, would they? No, because there's no malice in our culture. Oh, yes, there is. Malice is everywhere. But Peter's saying, hey, listen, you used to play that game. You used to do that. That used to be you, but you are born again now. So take malice, which will kill the church. Take it off. It's a community killer. Take it off and put it away. The next one that he talks about, he talks about deceit. So what is deceit? Deceit is telling the, a particular truth that is skewing the facts, that is filling a certain narrative. It is taking the details and arranging them in a way that's pointing uh, the worst possible light. So uh, thank God there is no deceit anywhere, right, in, this, in our culture. Like, that's all God, right? Like, if you ever go on social media, you, you watch the news in the evening and you, you're just like, 
you just sat through a master class of deceit right there. Like, deceit is the native tongue of our culture. Uh, it's all around us, but that does not belong in the church. Brothers and sisters, we have been saved by the truth. We ought to be people of the truth. We speak the truth. We believe the truth. We read the truth. We proclaim the truth. We, we don't paint caricatures of imposing sides and arrange details that would fit our own narrative. We take deceit, which will kill the church. We take it off and we put it away. It talks about malice. It talks about deceit. And the third one it talks about is hypocrisy. All right, hypocrisy. What is hypocrisy? Hypocrisy is a lack of sincerity. It's a fakeness, right? It's just inconsistency in the way that we act and we treat others. Now, let me clarify this, okay? Biblically speaking, when the Bible speaks of, speaks to, when it talks about hypocrisy, I would say that um, the common cultural vernacular definition of hypocrisy that we have is, is wrong, okay? Because usually a non-believer would say hypocrisy is something like this, okay? Like they would say this, and I quote, I hate Christians, right? They, those people drive me nuts. Those church people, they are, they are a bunch of hypocrites, right? Because they go to church on Sundays and they're all worshipy, worshipy Jesus, right? They're like, but I know that those people are just a bunch of messed up sinners just like everybody else. What a bunch of do-goody hypocrites. Okay, to that, let me say this, right? Being messy and a sinful people and going to church is not hypocrisy. It's actually called wisdom, right? It's called a good life decision. That same argument applied somewhere else would sound something like this. Oh, I can't stand hospitals, Right? They're supposed to be all about promoting health, but everyone in that place is just a sick mess, you bunch of hypocrites. Right? Well, track your logic right there, right? That, that's kind of the way that it works. Ironically, remember to the point before, Peter tells us to put away deceit, put away deceit, right? But did he, but did Peter not deceive a little girl? three times denying Jesus. So was Peter not deceptive? Absolutely. Peter was the king of deception. So is Peter not a hypocrite? Well, not in this context. You know why? Because, because he was forgiven for his sins. He was seeking repentance of his sins in an ongoing way so it doesn't kill the church. You see, hypocrisy is not going to church and worshiping Jesus as a sinner. It's going to church and worshiping Jesus and pretending that we're not sinners. That is hypocrisy. It's not Jesus, church, and my Bible study, and I have sin. No, like there's room for that, right? Like we got room for that. Come join us because that's all of us. 
Where there is no room is church, my Bible study, come to my community group, and I pretend that I have no sin. That's the hypocrisy that Peter is talking about here. Right? That's rampant in our world. This is how we live our lives, right? We put our best foot forward. We lead with our best. We maximize our strengths. We minimize our weaknesses. But we keep hidden that which we have messed up and that where we have gone wrong. But the gospel gives us a vastly different paradigm in the church. The gospel actually frees us to confess our sins, to lead with our sins, to acknowledge that we need the grace of God for our sins, to actually repent of our sins in ongoing ways, and not to judge other people for their sins. Amen? He's saying hypocrisy is everywhere in the culture, but you were born again of imperishable seed, and you need to take it off, and you need to put it away. Community killers, malice, deceit, hypocrisy. And the fourth one is this, envy. What is envy? Envy is jealousy. It is coveting. It's wanting that which is somebody else's. And And all the social media promotes it, right? That is what envy is. How many of you, after having spent a considerable amount of time on social media, thought to yourself, man, I was so uncontent until I got on social media, but now I am so content. Now that I see that everyone else is on vacation, everybody's traveling, everyone's got a nicer car, getting in shape, right? They got got six-pack abs, And I'm like, great, right? I'm so happy for you. And he's got a a larger home. She got promoted. You know, she got her book published. And what, all their kids are, all their kids have scholarships? Like, I am so glad that there is no envy in my heart at all right now. Right? Guys, envy is the opposite of love. Envy wants to get what other people have, but love wants to take what we have and give it to others so that they may rise and they may thrive. I was listening to uh, Tim Keller talk on this subject, and he said this, and I quote, he He talks about envy, and he says, psychologists have monetized the sin of envy through the discipline that we call marketing, which feeds into and lives off of our discontentment and envy, and it is a driving economic force. But Peter is saying, that works out there, but that doesn't work in here. Don't bring that in here. And church, what do we do as a church, right? What we do is we celebrate, we root for, we champion each other's successes. Not only that, but we lay down our lives like Jesus laid down 
his life for us so that people might thrive and people might succeed. And Peter's saying, man, you want to kill the church? Just be envious. But you are born again, right? We come into the church, we take envy off, which will kill the church, and we put it away. The fifth and the final one for today is, the last one is this slander. Uh Uh-oh, what is slander? All right, slander is hurtful and harmful speech that dishonors others. It's spreading gossip, it's taking shots, it's tearing others down that disagree with us. It's talking about somebody rather than talking to somebody, someone. But that never happens in our culture, right? Like, we see that everywhere in our culture, especially these past 15 months. Here's what I noticed the past year and a half. It's okay to disagree with someone on what you think of policies and politics and, and, you know, and this whole pandemic, right? But the worldly culture has been saying, ah, oh, that's not enough. You got to go for the throat. You can't disagree with a particular side. You have to outright despise them. That's how it works here. In fact, I found that if you do not slander or gossip or publicly disparage the other side, people on your own side will question your own loyalty to the side that you're on. That's been our cultural climate these past 15 months that we're coming out of, right? Supposedly. Peter's saying, hey, Christian, it's rampant out there. It it has no place in the church. But unfortunately, gossip and slander may be the most acceptable sins in the church. You know what we don't have in the church? We really don't have a stealing problem, right? Like, let me give you an example, okay? If someone put a $20 bill in the offering basket and we passed it um, and they pushed it in, but not all the way, and it kind of stuck out a little bit, like I would bet you another $20 that that $20 is going to make its way at the bottom of the offering basket. You know, why? Because somebody else is going to push it in. They're not going to pull it out. They're not going to steal it. Right? They're going to push it in. But that is the same good-hearted and honest people that would push it in who would not hesitate to slander a dear brother or sister who disagrees with them. Who wouldn't hesitate not to start gossip, but would definitely spread gossip, you know, at least in a form of a question, right? Like, you know, a question like this. Hey, Did you hear that church A is X, Y, and Z? I mean, I don't know if it's true. I just heard, I'm just saying, you know, something like that. But, you know, I heard something about that church. Like gossip is an atomic bomb. It is incredibly toxic. And it can crush the healthiest of churches. And did you know something? Did you know that the devil loves it? The devil loves that. Do you know, did you know what the, do you know what the devil's name is? 
His name is Satan. And do you know what Satan means? Satan means slanderer, accuser, right? That's his name right there. I am convinced that the devil has been on a full pedal assault in our culture the last 15 months. And so how many of, how many of you think that he might t- be taking shots at the local church for the witness of Jesus Christ as well? Right? And so should we not be on guard? Right? Do you know what his favorite tool is? It's in his name, slanderer. He would love to slander us, our fellow believers, right? And gossip about the local church. And Peter is saying, listen, that's their community killers. You can't love one another earnestly from a pure heart and not take off slander. It just doesn't work that way. And so he's saying, Slander is rampant in our culture, but brothers and sisters, you are born again of imperishable seeds. Take that slander, which will kill your church. Take the slander, take it off, and put it away. And that, well, that's Peter's list right there, right? Peter's list of community killers. Okay, so we're done with that. Anybody else feeling conviction like I am right now, <laughs> right? Like, there's a few of us that's really convicted by what I said, including me. Like for me, right, I think about my sins, and I had to kind of like assess my heart, and I put myself under the text before I preached the text. And so it dawned on me that my sins are like guacamole, like Chuck E. Cheese for me, right? Like, like these sins are here. There's certain sins for me I just largely over, overcome. I overcame it. Like they will never be behind me probably, but like I kind of killed it, and I got to, you know, keep those sins and check, bring it to the Lord all the time. And it's, but it's not popping up anymore regularly, right? These are not those sins, right? These are the sins that I actively fight. I know many people have said, oh, Finn, you're so patient, and, you, you know, I haven't seen you angry or anything. Like, as I assess my heart, there's, yeah, I, I get angry. And listen, there's moments when I get angry, and I just want to shoot out that email, and I want to say some words, and I want to I want to slander, and I'm like, oh, God, no, Jesus, no. Like, this does not honor you, right? I think I killed that one, and then all of a sudden, boop, here comes envy. And envy comes in, and I'm scrolling on Facebook, and I'm like, ah, this is horrible. Jesus, fix my eyes on you. And then all of a sudden, hypocrisy bumps this way, comes my way, and it's like all of a sudden, I'm like holier than thou, right? And well, for me and for the other sinners that raise their hands in the room, like for all five of us that are here, can I just encourage us with the gospel, right? This text doesn't only convict us, but it points us to the good news of Jesus Christ. Who, let me ask you, who is the one that is blameless in all of these five categories? It's Jesus is Jesus. Jesus had haters. Jesus had enemies. He did ministry with a price on his head. Jesus was gossiped about. He was mocked. He was maligned. He was misunderstood, and he was flat out lied about. But never once did he play that game. He didn't put any of that stuff on. Jesus took shots, but what did he do? He prayed for his enemies. And then Jesus went to the cross to die for your sins and my sins. And he 
took the malice, right? Of our malice, of our deceit, of all the hypocrisy and, and, and all the uh, envy and all the slander. Why? So that you and I would be forgiven and that we will be set free. Praise God. So I go through this list, right? And I go, yup, yup, me, yesterday, right now, even as I preach a little bit of this, like it convicts me right now. And then I look to Jesus and I think, oh, like, thank God someone went on my place to the cross. And now by his Holy Spirit, he empowers us to actually put those off functionally, to actually love the church, to love one another with earnest and pure hearts that build up the body of Christ and bring glory to our Father. So church, would you join with me? Please, church, as I beg you, would you join with me by putting away these sins that will kill a church that will kill a community. And now Peter, um, Peter doesn't just tell us what to take off, but actually Peter teaches us to be proactive, right? Here's what, here's what we could do. We not only take off, but we actually put on. We put something on. We learn to consume something new. And that's our final point, and I'm going to close, which is this. The final point is this. We need to learn to crave and spiritual nourishment that feeds the community, Crave spiritual nourishment that feeds the community. Verse 2, it says this. He continues his thought saying, Like newborn infants long before, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So what, 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 what Peter is saying is, it's just like a newborn infant needs pure milk, so too a Christian needs a pure diet right? There are things that feed our soul. This idea is that there is such a thing as impure milk. If he tells us to crave pure milk, the idea is that there is something that we can crave that is impure milk. Okay, so there's things that we can put into our hearts, we can put into our minds that will absolutely poison us. Right? That could actually lead us to disunity and division with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and dishonors our Heavenly Father. Right? And, and there is pure milk. So what is he referring to? What is he referring to here? You know what he's referring to? He's referring to the Bible. Uh, the logic right here in chapter 1, verse 25, 25, saying that we have been born again by what? By the living word of God. Right? This is what we need to crave. And when we taste the word of God to, and see that he is good through his word, it actually leads us to unity. Peter there is calling us to what? Peter is calling us to pay attention to your diet. Right? Pay attention to your diet. Not only take off the sins which will kill a community, but pay attention to what you are putting inside of you. By the, by the way, true or, false, true or false, like the list of five community killers that I just talked about in verse one are the bread and butter of social media and the news media, right? Like I am convinced that Facebook is like the Greek word for just light everything on fire, right? 
Like, I'm not hating on Facebook. Listen, I'm on it. You know, I'm on social media. But And I'm not saying all social media is bad, okay? And all news commentary on social media is bad. But it's to say we need to pay attention to what we are putting inside of us. My uncle used to say this old adage to me all the time when I was young. He used to say, garbage in, garbage out. If we listen to divisive, hateful, non-Christian rhetoric all day long, like what do you think is going to come out of us? Love, unity, compassion? Nah, right? it, it doesn't work that way. So Peter's saying, listen, not only put away those things, but pay attention to what you are putting inside of you, because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth will speak. What are you feeding your heart with? A very practical way that we can assess, just very practically, right, this question, let me ask all of us today, right? So the question is this. Last week, did we spend more time on social media, consuming social media, consuming the news media, sports, entertainment, or consuming the Word of God? Oh, and if you're like, well, Finn, I'm not really sure. You know who will be sure? Like our phone. (laughs) All we got to do is go to our setting on our phone. There's a little thing called a time tracker, and that thing will tell you the truth. Your phone will tell you the truth. Like everything, that's like the only thing, right, on your phone that will probably tell you the truth because it's your, it's your time tracker because everything else has an angle to it. But that time tracker will tell you the truth. And let me tell you, listen, nothing has been like more convicting to me than the last five years than my time tracker on my cell phone. And Peter is saying, man, long for spiritual milk. If you're feeding yourself junk, and you wonder why you are not loving, why you are not compassionate, and why you are just divisive toward other Christians, well, check your diet. Check your diet. Like if I woke up this morning, right, and I ate a bowl of cereal that included some battery acid, some batteries, and some transition fluid, and I'm, pre- and I'm, you know, I'm preaching here, and, I feel, and I'm telling you, like, I, don't, I don't feel very good right now. Man, maybe it's because of what I put in my body a few hours ago, right? And that's what Peter is saying. Put in good things. Why? Because the Bible is feeding our soul. It is pure spiritual milk that leads you to honor God and to one another in the present around us. And Peter is telling us, hey, what we need to do is we need to discipline our palate, right? He doesn't just say read your Bible, but actually learn to want to read it. Learn to want to read it. Like you need to redefine your palate, right? Like the things that you crave. As you walk with Jesus and we learn that we learn to love the Bible, to crave the Bible, to memorize the Bible, to believe in the Bible, to maintain a healthy, steady diet of the Bible, because you know why? Because it will change us. It will change us. George Mueller was a uh, famous missionary and evangelist from England. 
Before his conversion, this man was known to be a notorious liar and a notorious thief. He was a guy that you would have to keep your daughters away from, right? George Mueller was the kind of guy who specialized in all of the five sins that I talked about today in verse chapter 2, verse 1. But after he met Jesus Christ, he was known, as history tells us, for leading countless people to Christ and said that he personally cared for more than 10,000 orphans in his entire lifetime. And this man famously quotes, he famously writes this, and I quote, My first business every day is to get my heart happy in the Lord. That means he tasted and he saw that the Lord is good by reading his Bible every day. And so very practically, church, can I close out with just a challenge for us uh, to develop a daily habit, right? If we could just do the summer challenge to develop a daily habit of reading the Word of God, would we make a commitment today as a church family, right, that we're we're not going to click on social media or the news or ESPN? Like, that won't be the first thing that we do in the morning but we make it a priority to get our hearts and our minds in our Bible, right? Not legalistically. I'm not talking about that. Like, not Jesus loves you any less if you don't, but in the nature and the heart of paying attention to your diet. What if we fed our souls with spiritual milk every day before we tasted what is coming down the sewer pipes of our culture? Very practically, right? And if you're new to this, here's what I would recommend if you're new to this. If you could just get on your phone and if you could just download um, the Bible app. And, you know, I, we have that, I have that on my phone and I love it. And um, it has every English translation. It has all these languages and you just pick a translation, right? Edge City Church, we love the ESV here. I also like the NKJV, NASB, the P, like it just doesn't matter. Just get a Bible, just find a Bible and just get it. And, you know, maybe, maybe not the Mormon version, like they made a few tweaks in that one. <laughs> maybe don't check that one out, but just find a Bible, right? Get a Bible, find a Bible reading app, a plan. And, um, and here's the beautiful thing about that. The beautiful thing is that you can wake up every morning and you don't have to worry, like, where's my Bible? Right? It just start off the day, you just literally hit a button and you go read something from the Old Testament, New Testament, Psalm, Proverbs. 15 minutes, the first thing that you do in the morning, you're feeding your soul in the Bible. And then you can click on social media and go, <laughs> but can we try this? Can we try this as a church? And if you miss a day or two, listen, it's all good, right? It's all good. We're not legalistic. But we want to just try to develop a daily habit of consuming the word of God. And Peter says, learn to crave spiritual milk. So let's put that on. Let's start from the inside out. As I invite the worship team to come up and lead us today, as I invite us to close our eyes and to bow our hearts, and um, would we just center our hearts before the Lord and just uh, present everything that we heard before him right now. Um, just like Peter's day, our culture around us is a complete mess, right? In our culture, we have division. There is anger. There is slander. There is darkness, 
right? That's the current that we are swimming in every single day. But Peter calls the early church, and he calls us to love one another earnestly from a pure heart, to put away the sins that lead to division, and to crave the word of God. Would Jesus help us to live this out? And as I close, I just want to just say this in closing as we reflect of just how proud I am and the ministry leaders are to be just a fellow member of this body of Christ right here, this local church. Because you people, you, you're amazing and you just blow our minds away. And as I look at our culture this past year and a half, the divisiveness that is out there, and then I look in here, right, with churches joining, people coming together, hey? Right? And you know what I see? I see 99% of the time, I see humility, love, mutual respect for one another. I mean, we may have moments here and there, but at the end of the day, we are anchored in our unity and our love in Jesus Christ. And if you're new here to church, I want you to know that this love is not forced, it is not manufactured or made up. We didn't just read a book and put on a happy face and say, hey, you're a Christian, right? It's a response to the way that we have been loved undeservedly by a Savior named Jesus Christ, that he came, that he saw our hypocrisy and our deceit, and he saw our slander, and he could have said, guilty to the hell with you, and yet he came down and he said, no, to hell with me. I will face hell on your behalf on the cross so that you are not counted guilty for your sins. And that invitation is for all who trust in him to have their sins forgiven. And so Jesus is the only way, but he is the way for everybody. And that invitation is for all. So would you place your faith and your trust in Jesus today? If you have already placed your faith in Jesus, just be reminded of this good gospel, that on your best days and on your worst days, the blood of Jesus still covers you. Right, what an amazing gospel. And would that love drive us to fight for that same love and unity in the church and be a bright light in this dark world? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that long before that you commanded us through your word to love one another earnestly, you came and loved us. While we were still sinners, you loved us. When we had no interest in you, when we were not lovable, you first loved us. 
God, may that saturate our hearts right now. And would you give us all your grace to put off malice and envy and deceit and hypocrisy and slander, things that will kill a community. And would we instead crave the word of God? God, use us to have this, Lord. Renew our hearts, remind us of your love, and shape us in that direction. It's in Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen.